This is a CBC Podcast. Hi there, it's Pia. Every Wednesday, we are bringing you a bonus podcast, a handpicked story from the week's round of the Sunday magazine that we really think is worth hearing. Of course, you can hear all of our stories. They're all worth listening to. <laughs> on the full podcast we put out Sunday and on the CBC Listen app. All right, here's this week's highlight. Before we all turn our calendars to 2024, we have a holiday season to get through. And now that we're well into December, you may be thinking about family, friends, and your shopping list, what presents you'll get for loved ones in your life. It is often much more uh, than the thing you give. It's about the meaning it offers. For journalism professor Adrian Ma, one special gift he received has endured in his life and in his heart for seven years. Even though during that time, Adrian has grappled with whether or not to truly open said gift. Here's Adrian with our Sunday documentary. This is called Adventures in Whiskeyland. Hello, old friend. I see you're doing well. My name is Adrian Ma. Me? I'm 39. I can't complain. I live in Toronto. And right now, I'm in my bedroom closet, talking to a bottle of scotch whiskey. Yes, it has been a while. What year is it? Well, it's 2023. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't normally keep whiskey amongst my socks and underwear, but this bottle is special. My Uncle George gave it to me. The last time I was in Hong Kong on a family trip, 2016, I visited him at his apartment. I hear you like whiskey, he says to me. I love whiskey, I reply. He disappears into his bedroom for a moment. When he returns, he hands me a rectangular dark wooden case. I gently open it. The case is lined with a plush red fabric, and inside sits a dusty green bottle. The label is warm, but I can make out the Glenlivet Special Jubilee Reserve, aged 25 years. Even if you're not a whiskey fan, you're likely familiar with the brand, the Glenlivet. Because if you're not the original, you're living in the shadows of one. The Glenlivet. The Glenlivet. The Glenlivet. It's one of the oldest and most popular distillers of single malt scotch whiskey in the world. This particular bottle was from a limited edition batch, distilled in 1952. Let's just think about that for a second. The number one song in 1952 was Blue Tango by Leroy Anderson. That was the year millions tuned in to watch Richard Nixon's Checkers speech on TV. My fellow Americans, I come before you tonight as a candidate for the vice presidency. The movie Singing in the Rain was released. And on February 6th, King George VI died, and his daughter Elizabeth II ascends to the throne. My beloved father broadcast a message to his people. Today, I am doing this to you, who are now my people. So that's the year this whiskey went into an oak barrel. Then, 25 years later, after a quarter century on the throne, 
Queen Elizabeth II celebrates her silver jubilee. I pledged my life to the service of our people in my salad days when I was green in judgment. I do not regret nor attract one word of it. That's the year this bottle was released and why it's dubbed the Jubilee Reserve. Basically, this bottle of whiskey had lived an entire life already. And all of this happened before I was born. I cradle the bottle in my hands. This looks really valuable, Uncle George. Are you sure you want to give this to me? I'll never forget his reply. I don't have a reason to open this. You should have it. After I got home from Hong Kong and unpacked, my curiosity got the better of me. I went online to see how much this bottle could be worth. My jaw dropped when I saw that bottles of the Glenlivet Jubilee Reserve were worth upwards of $3,000. Three grand! Now, I'm a whiskey guy, and I have a decent collection, but this was easily 10 times more than I'd ever spent on a bottle of hooch. It's by an almost absurd measure, the oldest, rarest, and most valuable whiskey in my collection, which is why it sits apart from the other bottles in the dark of my closet alongside my boxer shorts. Because when it comes to what to do with a $3,000 bottle of booze, the idea of drinking it? Drinking $3,000? I've just not been able to actually do it. Now, if you were in my position and you had this bottle of very rare, very precious booze, would you choose to sell it, keep it, or drink it? Drink it, absolutely. I mean, that is the point of having a whiskey is I think you need to enjoy it. It's meant to be consumed. That's my friend Matt. And this is my buddy Jeff. My grandfather and my dad inherited a number of bottles. And anytime we've had a major life event, whether it be a, a wedding, a bris uh, for our kids, one of those bottles has always come out. And I certainly think you should be keeping it. In the end, there is only one person who insists I sell the bottle. I can't believe you're even asking yourself this question. My producer, AC Rowe. Do you want to know how much each shot is worth? I mean, kind of, but maybe not really. Okay, what is it? $156.25. Damn. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. That's this a is lot, a serious dude. question. <sighs> I feel like the Scrooge of Whiskey Land. <laughs> Keep it, sell it, or drink it. There's only one place in this world I can find the answer. Let's go to Whiskey Land. Edinburgh, Scotland's capital city. On a normal trip, I would happily tour Edinburgh Castle, take in the Prince's Street Gardens, or check out its world-famous Fringe Festival. But I'm not here for any of that. I'm here for whiskey. Okay, so when you're in Scotland, we don't say cheers or chin-chin or salute or prost. We greet you in Gaelic. And we wish you good health. And the Gaelic words for that are slangeva. So I'm going to give it a try. Slangeva? Absolutely. You've nailed it. Well done. Thank you, my man. Pleasure. <laughs> Scotch, simply put, is whiskey made in Scotland. Well, duh. But it's important to understand. Much like how sparkling white wine can only legally be called champagne if it was produced in the Champagne region of France, the Scottish have strict provisions on what constitutes Scotch whiskey. It has to be made from only water, yeast, and cereal grains. 
It must be distilled, aged, and bottled within Scotland. And it has to be matured for a minimum of three years in oak wood casks. And no artificial flavoring or sweetening is permitted. All that sweetness comes from malted barley. And single malt just means the whiskey is from a single distillery. Scotland takes its whiskey seriously, and for good reason. It's a massive driver of the country's economy. Global exports of Scotch whiskey exceeded six billion pounds in 2022. The earliest documented record of distilling whiskey in Scotland goes all the way back to 1494. And the word whiskey itself derives from the Gaelic term uskebia, which loosely translates to water of life. But the most important thing to learn about whiskey, how to drink it. Enter Kirsty McCarrow. So I founded and run the Edinburgh Whiskey Academy. We meet at the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society, a private members club, where she walked me through her method of tasting whiskey. She told me a lot. There's five key regions, obviously space. Peaty character, highlands, lowlands. Trialing different yeasts, using different barley. Original ABV of the whiskey. Volatile compound. The region suffered a lot when the railway was built. Sensory analysis perspective. So I'm going to try and get you the crucial pointers. First things first, the drinking glass matters. The gold standard for sipping whiskey is the Glencairn. It's a small glass with a wide bowl and a tapered mouth. So it concentrates the aromas um, as they come out. Next, pour out a dram, about one fluid ounce, give or take. Look at the color and uh, you know swirl it around the glass. It's always a good idea to perhaps have poured your samples a little bit in advance so that they are room temperature. If your whiskey is slightly cold, you could always warm it up in your hands a bit. Next. Get your nose in there and give it a good sniff. Well, now you've got your sort of initial introduction to, to the aromas. It's, it's time to taste it. And so when you taste it, you're obviously looking for uh, the, the flavours, the mouthfeel. Um, is it very creamy? Uh, is it quite peppery, spicy? Shall we go for it? Yeah, All right, here we go. Excuse <coughs> me. I, I don't know what I'm talking about, so I'm just going to throw words out. <laughs> but... A kind of a citrusy almost. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. Yep, citrus, zesty. Yeah. Uh, you definitely get these sort of coconut vanilla notes coming through in the end. There it is. Yeah, once you said coconut and a bit of vanilla, I, I got it. Wow. We do this with a couple of other drams. Afterwards, I thank Kirsty and promise to apply what she's shown me. But as we gather our things to leave, she drops one more piece of whiskey wisdom. There is no right or wrong. Everyone has their ways of doing it, and that's great. You know, everyone will develop their own way that they really enjoy drinking whiskey. Put another way, when it comes to Scotch whiskey. We can look to the immortal words of the rock legend's journey. Any way you want it. <laughs> But I've come to this country for something specific, to see for myself where my bottle of Glenlivet was made, the Glenlivet Distillery. The distillery is situated within the Livet Valley, a place that is breathtakingly beautiful, impossibly verdant, and seemingly untouched by time. I take a tour of the grounds with blending manager and cask expert, Kevin Baumforth. Glenlivet started you know, back in 1824. Raw materials are the same, it's, it's still made with water, malted barley and yeast. There's been some technology advances that's, you know, that's helped with improving that consistency in terms of the you know, temperatures, the, the timings and all of that. But the actual DNA 
has stayed the same over, over all these years. As we continue our walk, Kevin tells me he's been digging through Glenlivet's archives to see what he could find about my bottle. We found a few nuggets for you, and I've got a few things I can share with you. I'm so excited to hear that. Okay, okay. What did what, you find? So Robert Arthur, who was the general manager at the time, uh, so he actually became the general manager in 1952. In most likelihood, that's when the whiskey was distilled. So he started the same year, 1952. He retired in 1978, and that whiskey was released in 1977. You know, I know myself because I've been blending now for nearly 24 years, and it, you go full circle, you know. So he, he would have been there distilling, laying down the stock, and 25 years later, he's, he's bottling that whiskey. So it's like, you know, that would have been a huge, proud moment for him. His tenureship encompassed that entire time that whiskey was maturing. And he retired just a year after that. So, I mean, that would have been the pinnacle of his, his career, that release. That, that bottle would have been the absolute pinnacle. And we know from the obituaries that he was described as a, a Speyside whiskey legend. So what you have there, that bottle you've got, is the pinnacle of a man's career that was a, you know, a Speyside legend. This isn't just a bottle of scotch. It represents a whiskey legend's entire career. And by having this bottle, I'm a small part of his legacy. Kevin walks me back to the distillery lobby. I have one more question for him. Really, the only question I have left. What kind of moment, in your opinion, justifies the opening of such a bottle, and who should I drink this with? I think for you to open up, I think it must be a momentous occasion. It's much better shared, it's much better experienced, uh, and to taste that. And it, that whiskey will taste just as it was intended, just as Robert Arthur created that whiskey, the flavour that he intended, it will still taste the same as when he put it together. And that's, that's the great thing about whiskey. Once you, once you take it out of a cask, you put it into the bottle, the flavour's locked in there. It doesn't change. It's not like a bottle of wine that will continue to mature, stays the same as it was intended. It's a time machine. Yeah, <laughs> that's what we do. We, we, we're, we're almost like time lords a little bit because we're, we're putting whiskeys down for 20, 30, 40 years in the future, you know. Where we're going, we don't need roads. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> uh, okay, guys, great to see you. Do you want to drink some whiskey? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, these are some whiskeys that uh, Liz and I actually visited these distilleries in Scotland. It's about six weeks since I got back from Scotland. I'm with a group of my closest childhood friends and their partners at a cottage in Muskoka, Ontario. See, all of us turned 40 this year, and we decided to mark the milestone with a collective birthday party. It's a rare chance for us to all get together for the weekend and without the kids. I've brought a few whiskeys to share from some of the distilleries I visited. The Glasgow Distillery, Glen Farkless, Ben Romack. All right, so Liz is going to pour some drams out for everybody. We pour the drams out, nose them, sip them, compare and contrast, just like Kirsty McCarrow taught me. So obviously there's any way you can drink whiskey is, is, is the way you should do it. The way I'm looking around the room at my friends, thinking about the countless times we were together like this, sharing Cokes as kids, chugging cheap beer as teens, and sipping Johnny Walker as grown men. In my life, the drinks have gotten better, but the company has stayed the same. I don't need to wait for some monumentally special occasion because this is what's special. Actually, guys, I, uh, I do have one more to share. No. Really? Oh, no. Oh, really? my God. I'm tearing up. Who is this? 
Yeah. I take out my bottle of Glenlivet ah. Jubilee Reserve. So as you guys know, this little bottle here sent me on an amazing adventure. I got to see where it was made, met people who have dedicated their entire lives to making whiskey. And what every single distiller, blender, bartender, and scotch expert told me was that there is no right or wrong way to drink whiskey, but the best way to drink it is with people you love. So, <clears throat> I think back to the words of my uh, Uncle George when he gave me this bottle. I don't have a reason to open this. Uh, you should have it. Well, having friends in my life like you guys, that's uh, reason enough. So, that's truly something to celebrate. So let's do like the Scottish do and uh, have a toast, uh, Solangeva. <laughs> Here comes the cork. Nope. <laughs> it broke? The cork has broken in half, wedged the neck of the bottle. My friends, bless them, fly into rescue mode. Someone produces a corkscrew in the hopes that we can gently extract the remainder of this wayward cork. Okay, the corkscrew is going in. <gasps> the slightest touch has it's caused okay, the rest of the okay. cork to tumble into the bottle. It's okay, it is. We, got so we pour out some drams. Cork particles be damned. Slangeva. Slangeva. Oh. That is actually incredible. <laughs> cork or no cork? Smooth whiskey. Beautiful. I'm honestly not a really big whiskey person, and I loved it. <laughs> I mean, thank you for that, because that is a, a privilege to have that opportunity to try something like that. You're welcome, my brother. My verdicts on the special Jubilee Reserve? Exceptionally smooth, with a fruity sweetness and a wisp of smoke. But we never finished the bottle. We strained it and found a replacement cork. One from this century. Now it's back in my bedroom closet. I'm saving enough for two more drams. One for me and one for my Uncle George for the next time I visit him in Hong Kong. So, until we meet again, Solangeva. A sweet story. That documentary was produced by Adrian Ma with AC Rowe from CBC's Audio Doc Unit, along with music courtesy of DECA and Columbia. You can find all the stories we bring you each week on the Sunday magazine by heading to our website, cbc.ca slash Sunday. I'm Pia Chattopadhyay. Thanks for lending us your ear. We'll talk to you again on Sunday. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.